Well, last Monday night, I had a perfectly good $5. Uh, even today, there's a few things you can get for 5 bucks. Uh, you can get a hamburger, you can get some nuts and bolts, you can get some screws, you can get a book. You can get a whole bunch of things for $5. And so when you swap $5 for something, you want it to be something that's at least half decent, or at least I do. Last Monday night, uh, Catherine and I were a uh, little bit tired, a little bit weary, and so I thought I'll, uh, I'll try and treat Catherine to a quiet night. thought I'd go and get a movie. Uh, and so I went and swapped my perfectly good $5 for a movie. Unfortunately, uh, it was a terrible swap. The movie was one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Catherine, whom I was trying to please, walked out halfway through to do other things. The movie was so bad, I'm not even going to tell you what it was. It's too embarrassing. My perfectly good $5, and I swapped it for a disastrous movie. Now, where we're up to in Galatians here this morning is a little bit like this. The Galatians had swapped something that was perfectly good and they were swapping it for something that was disastrous. And it wasn't just a dud movie. They were swapping their freedom for slavery. Can you imagine choosing slavery over freedom? And yet that's what the Galatians had let themselves be tricked into. And as we read Galatians this morning, we're being warned not to make the same mistake. Because in Christ, we have freely been made into the people of God. We did nothing and do nothing to be the people of God and we're to stand firm in our freedom. We're not to let anyone tell us that we have to do anything to be the people of God. Now for the Galatians, uh, if you can recall, Paul had come in and told them the gospel. Before the Galatians had heard the gospel though, uh, they were in slavery. Uh, Not the slavery of being a servant in a master's house, although some of them probably were that. But they were in the slavery of the pagan, heathen religions of their day. Uh, In order to gain the favour of the gods, uh, they had to perform elaborate systems of rituals and omens and divination and sacrifice. And they could never be sure if what they had done was enough. Uh, They were in the slavery of always trying to make the gods happy, but never being able to pull it off. Then Paul comes along and he tells them of Christ. And how the Lord Jesus can make them permanently acceptable to God. And so when they put their faith in the Lord Jesus, they were set free from their slavery. Never having to have to worry again about trying to make God happy. But then some others come along and try to convince them that there were things that they still needed to do to make God happy. These people were saying that they still needed to keep God's Old Testament law to be right with God. And so first you've got the pagans and their heathen religions, their rituals of trying to keep the gods happy. Then you've got people wanting to insist that you must become Jewish and perform the Old Testament law to make God happy. But either way, it was the slavery of trying to make God happy by what you did. Have a look at verse 9. Verse 9. Sorry, verse 8. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking about them being involved in pagan religion. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, they put their faith in Jesus, 
How is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. Now he's talking about their slip into Judaism. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. Whether it was paganism or Judaism with its insistence on the law, whichever, whichever option they took, it was slavery. The slavery of trying to make God happy by what you do. Uh, if we pick on Judaism, insisting on the Old Testament law to be right with God, then the law is like an impossible dad. Uh, I hope you didn't have or have an impossible dad. Um, but if you can imagine coming home from school and uh, you've got your maths test and you say, Dad, Dad, i got 95% in my maths test. And your dad says, well, what happened to the other 5%? Or you come home and you say, Dad, I think I've worked out what I want to do when I leave school. I want to become a dentist. And your dad says, well, that's a little bit disappointing. I was hoping you'd become a doctor. Or uh, you come home and you say, Dad, Dad, I made the representative cricket team or the representative netball team. Dad, I'm, I'm going to represent Dubbo. And your dad says, yeah, but you'll never play for Australia. Just the slavery of trying to keep your dad happy, trying to make your dad, trying to win your dad's favour. Well, the law, God's Old Testament law, is like the impossible dad because you can never make it happy. You can never obey it enough. You can never satisfy it. And if you try, you'll spend your life in its slavery. And this is really at the heart of all other religions except Christianity, of course, trying to make God happy by what you do, trying to do enough good things, trying to say enough prayers, make enough sacrifices in the hope that you'll perform well enough for God to be happy with you, to be satisfied with you, to accept you. And it's a slavery. It's a slavery of never knowing God and never knowing whether he'll accept you. Christianity faith in the Lord Jesus Christ it brings you the freedom of knowing God it, you can see that in verse 9 but now that you know God or rather are known by God and this is nothing that we did of ourselves it's everything God's done for us it's taking us back to just a couple of verses verses 6 and 7 hopefully you can remember when we looked at that two weeks ago that through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ our sins have been washed away that God has given his very spirit and he dwells within us in our hearts. He knows us. And by his spirit, we call on God as Father. We know him. We've become his sons, the heirs of his promises, along with Christ. God has poured out his love into our hearts. Through Christ, he has rescued us. He's brought us to himself. We know God because God knows us. And has done everything to make it possible. It's all through Christ and his death for us. Not through the slavery of endless empty rituals. But God has come to us. And he knows us. That we might also know him. And it's not to do with anything we do. God has done it all for us. Which one are you? What option are you taking up? Which option are you following? Are you trying... To make God happy with you? Are you slaving away with your busy life, trying to do the right thing, coming to church, being honest at work, looking after the kids, 
helping people in need, filling in Samaritan boxes. And then you can look back on your life with some degree of satisfaction, some degree of integrity, and so some degree of hope that God might be happy with you. Are you trying to make God happy with you? Because if you are, are you getting tired? Are you getting tired of wondering if he is happy with you? You're getting weary of always giving your best, but knowing in your own heart that you don't love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, and that you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And don't you want the fear to go away? The fear of not knowing what will happen after the grave? What will happen? What will God say on that judgment day? Will he be happy? Will you have done enough? Would you want to know the answer? The answer is no. You won't have done enough. And God won't be happy with you. You can't make God happy with you. But God can. God can make you acceptable to himself. God can justify you in his presence. God can know you. And so you can know him through the Lord Jesus because of his death for sin because of God giving his spirit to his people we can be forgiven and set free to know God and to be known by him no more trying to make God happy just God making you part of his family through Christ now Paul desperately wanted the Galatians to trust in Christ alone that they would know God and be known by him and be right with him And in the next few verses, Paul spells out his passion for them. He's very pastoral. I hope you noticed that as Jackie was reading. He's deeply concerned for the Galatians. And the reason he is is because of what's at stake. Because if you go along with the false gospel of the slavery of trying to make God happy by what you do, then you won't make God happy and you'll miss out on God's inheritance for his people. Because it is only in Christ that we are set free. Point two on your outline and have a look at verse 21. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. Paul's got a little illustration here to try and help us to see the slavery and the freedom that we have, that we can get out of and that freedom we have in Christ. But before we get into his illustration of Abraham and his sons, I want us to be clear what Paul's point is because it's actually going to get a little bit tricky. Maybe you noticed that as Jackie was reading. And I don't want us to lose the, the side of the main point as we work our way through these verses. So what Paul's going to go on to say is that the law produces people in slavery with no inheritance from God. Jesus produces people of freedom with an inheritance from God. The law produces people in slavery with no inheritance from God. Jesus produces people of freedom with an inheritance from God. That's where Paul's heading with this. Let's have a look. Uh, To help us, I'm going to show us how it works with a diagram on the screen, and I'll put it up little by little as we work our way through. I hope this is helpful. Uh, So, so far from verses 21 and uh, 22 and 23, we learn uh, that Abraham had two sons, and they were Ishmael and Isaac, 
and he had those sons by two women. Uh, Hagar was his slave and Sarah was his wife and Sarah was a free woman. Ishmael was born of the slave woman and she was, he was born in the ordinary way. There was nothing unusual about his birth. Isaac, though, was born of a promise. Uh, Sarah couldn't have kids, but God intervened, uh, gave her a promise, and so Isaac was born. And you can read all about it in uh, Genesis. Uh, that's just the family tree. Now things start to get a little bit complicated. Uh, so have a look at verse 24. Verse 24. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. Okay, so up on the screen, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai or uh, the present Jerusalem. Uh, In other words, she stands for the law which was given to the Jews at Mount Sinai. Ishmael stands for all those who want to be justified by the law. Uh, Judaism, uh, legalistic Judaism. Uh, And as Paul has already pointed out, anyone who seeks to be justified by God's Old Testament law, they're in slavery to that law because they're unable to satisfy its demands. Uh, If you're a slave and you have children, then your children will be slaves. And the parallel here is that just as if if your parents are slaves, then you'll be born into slavery. Well, the law gives birth to slaves. All right. Totally different story, though, for those that are born of the promise. Uh, Verse 26. Have a look at verse 26. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Okay, so Sarah, she stands for the Jerusalem above. She stands for the Jerusalem that was promised by God, that quotes from Isaiah, promised by God when he would come for his people as their husband and he would comfort them. He would include people from every nation and they would get to share in his inheritance. Isaac then stands for Christians, those who have been given the freedom by God to be his people, the children of promise not born into the people of God by natural birth, but born into the people of God by God himself, by his promise, held out to us in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. All right. What's Paul getting at? What he's trying to say is those who try and be justified by obeying God's law are in slavery to the law. Those who have faith in the promises of God, as seen in Jesus, they're free to be the people of God. And what difference does it make? How's the rubber hit the road? What's the point of all this? Have a look at verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. In other words, again on the screen, uh, those in slavery to the law have no share in the inheritance of God. None. They do not know God, and they are not known by God. They have no share in the promise of God's Uh, eternal life they will not enjoy the new creation they have no share in god's inheritance but those with their trust in christ to get them there well they're free to share in god's inheritance through faith in christ we are known by god 
And we know God. God has come to us. He has brought us to himself through the cross of Christ. We've been given his spirit. We've been made into his sons and his heirs. And we will share in his inheritance. And so it comes as no surprise then that Paul, as he finishes off this section, uh, commands us to stand firm in our freedom. He wants us to make sure that no one will enslave us by having to do certain things for God to accept us. It's just faith in Christ. That's it. God gives it all to us. Have a look. Chapter 5 and verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ has set us free for freedom. We're free. Now, freedom isn't being able to choose to do whatever you want. Uh, Freedom isn't being able to choose for yourself. Uh, The Bible actually calls that slavery to sin. And we're going to think about that more in two weeks. But Christ has set us free for freedom. And here in Galatians 4, it's particularly the freedom of having to perform for God. We don't have to try and be good enough for God. We're free from thinking that if we're religious enough or holy enough or good enough, then God will be satisfied. We're free from that. Because Christ has performed for us. He died his death for us. He's been risen from the dead for The Lord Jesus performed for us to make us acceptable to God. We're free from having to earn God's favor. Christ has earned it for us. Nothing that we do makes us Christians. Christ makes us Christians. So why are you here? Why did you drag yourself out of bed? On a cold, wet Sunday morning when you could be doing a thousand other things. Why'd you come to church? Because we're free. We're free from having to be here. Why'd you come? Because if you've come out of guilt or wanting to impress God somehow to keep him happy, we're free from having to do that. Did you put money in the collection bags as it came around? Or like me, do you have a direct deposit to uh, the church account? Why? Please tell me it's not some sort of offering up to God, a sacrifice of your money to to pay off God and to keep him satisfied. Christ has set us free. He has satisfied the Father on our behalf. Our money can't do that. Or how about going along to your small group when it's the end of a long day and you're tired? Or getting yourself along to seniors or to WOW uh, or to PWA in the morning and it just feels like hard work. You know you're free not to go. I mean truly free. Making the effort, it's not going to make you more acceptable to God. It's, it's not going to make you better than anyone else. It's, it's not going to somehow shore up your place in the new creation. How about your Bible reading? the way that you set aside some time each day to read God's word. And there's things, other things you don't get done because you know you you want to read your Bible. But you know you don't have to, don't you? You're free not to do it. That you don't have to read God's word. That God's not going to somehow count you more special to him uh, than someone else that doesn't read their Bible every day. God doesn't owe you more than he owes people that don't read their Bible. God doesn't owe anybody. Same goes for your prayers. The countless hours you spend quietly praising God and asking him for things. No one sees you. Though, do you secretly hope that God's keeping count? 
that he should surely be impressed and that he's going to especially look after you now that you've had a good week praying. You're free from that, you know. We're free from all of this. Which is a great thing because if we did these things to curry God's favour or to earn his approval, it would be slavery. The slavery of always trying to appease God, always trying to satisfy him, but never knowing if he approves of you, never knowing if he's going to look after you, never knowing if you've kept him happy enough, never knowing if you've been good enough, like an endless chasing after the wind. Christ has set us free from all of this. We're free from having to perform for God because Christ has performed for us. In his death and resurrection for our sins, he's made us permanently acceptable to God, permanently satisfied the Father on our behalf. We don't have to perform for God. We don't have to be good enough for God. We're set free from all that. Can you imagine the parent's pain when their child comes to them? They've just set the table for dinner. They've just, all off their own bat, just walked in and set the table. And then they walk into the kitchen and they say to their mum, do you love me now? Or you get home from school, or the child gets home from school and they get straight A's and they say to their dad, do you love me now? Ouch. To think that you would have raised your child in such a way, they don't even know if you love them. And so they're trying to make you love them by doing things for you. God has showered us with his love in Christ's death on our behalf. In love, he's poured out his spirit into our hearts. Do you get it? Do you understand it? Or are you trying to do things to make God love you? This morning, if you're here and you're not Christian, don't try and make God happy with you. Don't try and perform for him. Don't try and be good enough for him. Just trust Jesus. He's done it all for you. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, don't think that anything religious makes you more acceptable to God. There's nothing we have to do to be right with God. Christ has done it all for us. We just trust him. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. We're free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is astonishing what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. That by his death you have washed away our sins. You now know us through him. You've poured out your spirit into our hearts. And we call you Father. We know you. And it's all because of what you've done for us in Christ and by your spirit. And we praise you for your grace. We thank you for the freedom that you've given us. That we do not have to perform for you. Thank you that Christ performed for us. And so Father we pray that we would relish and live in the freedom that you have won for us in Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would stand firm and not be burdened by any yoke of slavery. Thank you. Amen.